Welcome to the Werewolf Den, where we do a deep dive into the core concepts and principles behind White Wolf's Werewolf the Apocalypse. I'm Amelin. And I am Ryan. Welcome back! So, we've finished up with the tribes, we've finished with the tribes, yep. and we are going to go ahead now and move on to one of the biggest concepts in the entirety of the game. It's probably going to be a multi-part episode. Oh, it absolutely will. The Umbra. Mm-hmm. So, big thing, first and foremost with the Umbra, that I want you to know more than anything else, if you walk away learning nothing else from the entirety of this series, learn this. You can do anything in the Umbra. Yeah, the the Umbra is literally limitless with all of the opportunities it affords you. Any social concept, any idea, any thought that people have, that living creatures have, will have its reflection manifested in the Umbra. There's literally nothing that you cannot do with this opportunity. Barring that, then... <laughs> <laughs> Barring the infinite opportunity. What is the Umbra? Because that is a lot to take in, that it's just anything. So, general rundown real quick. The Umbra is the spiritual reflection of the real world. And there's various aspects and various other things that go into it, but in a nutshell... This is what it is. There is a material world in which we are actually existing in, and we can see and touch and hold and taste and lick everything. Don't lick everything, but <laughs> <laughs> The Umbra is the spiritual reflection of that. And one of the things that makes werewolves unique is they are half spirit. Very frequently they get talked about how they're half man, half wolf. They're half material being and half spirit. And because of that, they can travel between the realms. Best known as the veil, which separates the two. Mm -hmm. Within the sort of metaplot history, it used to be that these were one and the same. That in Gaia's creation, the material and the spiritual were fused together. There was no separating them. But... Various tribal folklores will will put their own spin on it, but basically the weaver, in a attempt to sort of regulate and control everything, separated these two, and humans, much to their detriment, lost a connection to that spiritual side. Werewolves did not lose this connection, though. The Garu can still travel between it, they can still speak to the beings on the other side of it, and thus, they can interact and create changes within it. And that's kind of the big thing that we really want to get at, is the notion that this place is very mercurial, and because it's mercurial, it's also very malleable. Mm -hmm. There's certain intrinsic aspects to it. The best way to kind of explain it, I feel like, is to explain the two longest-running games that the two of us have each run. Mm -hmm. Ryan ran a game based out of the city of Chicago. I ran a game based out of the city of Glasgow. And both of these are multi-year games. And both of these are still cities, but very different. And mm -hmm. how they manifest within the Umbra. And this, I feel like, is an actual full display of the 
full branch of possibility that you can have with that. With Ryan, I'll let you explain how you ran Chicago first. So one of the the big things I did with the Umbra in Chicago is I tried to tie it into territory. It was a LARP, very big LARP. We had over 60 players at its its largest point. And for a little dinko college town in the middle of a cornfield, it was pretty good. But I wanted there to be a reason for packs to care about their territory. And so one of the things that exists within the Umbra are anchor heads to near and far realms, which are these super abstract concepts, places of incredible power and opportunity that are different from sort of the average Umbra that you find. The game calls it the Penumbra, sort of the first layer of the Umbral cosmology or sandwich or what have you. But I utilized the history and the culture of Chicago to create these anchor heads in specific locations within the city. So that way, if it's within your territory, hey, you've got a monopoly on this anchor head. If someone else wants to do an umbral quest here, they've got to go through you and so sort of augment those politics. And like, I think the best example of that was this game was running before the Chicago Cubs were good, when they were still like losing horribly. And had this great reputation of just being a, you know, you put your hopes and your dreams into the Chicago Cubs and every season they betray you kind of thing. And so Wrigley Field served as an anchor head to this realm of despair where like all hope goes to die. And I was able to use what I understood as a human being who lives within, you know, the greater Chicago area, this little cornfield to color and inform and make this anchor head feel interesting. And so I had, you know, all of the players of previous seasons were sort of melded into this Silent Hill-esque monstrosity where they're all writhing and like all of the city's doubts and fears and shame was sort of pooled and manifested into this one place. And that was effortless for me to create because I'm a human being who is familiar with this aspect of human culture. And it just came as easy as pie for that reason. Whereas working then from my city of Glasgow, Scotland, my city is based off of my experiences of living within the city. And one of the things that I can tell you straight up you get lost so easy in that city if you are not familiar with it. It's not on a grid, and the streets just feel like they change out of nowhere, and for no reason it feels and, and like... And the names will change. Yeah, it... Very frequently, it, just because. It is a confusing, confusing mess, to the point that I remember a number of times, like, asking locals for directions, and they just kind of shrugged at me and said, if Kind of with this whole, if you don't know, you don't know sort of idea. Use your GPS. And so I baked this notion into my Umbra. I'm running a tabletop. I don't have to worry about a whole bunch of packs and making them care. I have to worry about one pack and making sure that they are challenged. And so that was part of this challenge. They can't just pop into the Umbra and walk to their destination if they want to try to kill a vampire in ambush because the city's not going to let them. It's baked into this umbra that the streets change and the mists roll in and everything turns and you are suddenly in a place that is completely different. And you have to really come to know the city in order to actually learn how to get around. 
You need to befriend the local spirits. You need to learn what the local sites are, what the history is, and this pack has been slowly doing that, and thus becoming more familiar with the city and not getting as lost in the Umbra as they normally would. And this is something that spans all the way out into any type of setting that you did. We used a city because it's very easy to understand these concepts, mm -hmm. but you can take this notion and apply it to Yellowstone. You can take unique bits of history and features of Yellowstone and do more than just make a single geyser a cairn. You can bake the type of feelings of awe that come with being at a certain precipice or a peak and make it so that this location allows you to see as far as the eye can see if you're on a certain mountaintop. Or in like a lighthouse that I ran, it allows you to like get a notion of not being nearly as lost in the Umbra whenever this lighthouse is showing in this particular direction. You can utilize the things that are within the material world and make them significant within your umbra. And it doesn't have to necessarily be a real thing, but it helps to just look at a location's history, look at the culture and the people surrounding it, learn about little things. Like, one of my favorite scenes that I ran was Ryan was trying to learn a gift and he went off and studied millipedes for a day because he found out that they were incredibly local to his area mm -hmm. and started researching and he was like, oh, I'm learning this gift. What gift was it? It was... So, yeah, to sort of speak on that, this isn't just an episode for storytellers, obviously, because players have an incredible opportunity to engage in this regard. So the story that Aimelin was referring to, I was trying to learn Odious Aroma, which is a Bonar gift. And you know me, I freaking love Bonars, but I wanted something that didn't smack of so much, oh, I'm a pathetic bum kind of thing. So I didn't want to go with, you know, the stereotypical, you know, you learn it from a skunk spirit because you're just a stinky old dude, right? I was like, what can I find that has more of a, a aggressive sort of tinge to it? And as I was researching organisms that use odor as a defense mechanism, I found millipedes. And there are certain species of millipedes that actually produce cyanide. And I was like, this is freaking awesome. This is like chemical warfare, bonar edition. Like, I loved this. And so I was researching all this stuff about millipedes. And like, apparently in the early 1900s, there were gamblers would put millipedes in their pockets because millipedes were a symbol of luck. And all this sort of stuff. And I was, you know, bouncing around all of these different ideas about what a millipede is. And ultimately, I found out that within the city of Glasgow, there are sandstone deposits. And millipedes freaking love sandstone deposits. They're very, very prominent there. But one problem that they're facing is that they will see lights in people's houses and they'll be naturally drawn to that light and they're bottom feeders they feed on detritus uh, leaves and whatnot that have fallen onto the ground level there's no reason for them to go into a person's house there's nothing that they naturally want to eat there it's really a bad environment for them but they're drawn to these lights so i was like oh there are organizations and clubs within the city that help to spread blinds blackout blinds so that way millipedes won't see the light won't get drawn out of their environment they won't end up in people's houses where they get squished and people creep out because they're millipedes and and yeah you learn all these things and that's the coolest thing about werewolf is it 
invites and encourages you to learn about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And this is really kind of why Werewolf is our favorite system within all of World of Darkness, and frankly, within a lot of tabletop, because you can take just these random bits of knowledge that just feel, they feel useless and trivial and make them mean something in your game. And And mean something to you too. I used to think that millipedes were just this bug, little, it's a bug, whatever. It's, it's not creepy like a centipede, it's a millipede. But now I'm like, oh, millipedes are actually really cool. And, and just in the process of researching something to get a really cool gift, I learned all of this actual stuff. And now as a, a human being, I have a heightened appreciation of millipedes that I didn't have a year ago because I wanted to learn Odious Aroma. That's so cool. Werewolf's cool. The Umbra just offers this full cloth with everything with its limitless potential. Mm-hmm. You can take things you already know. If you want to learn something new, you can just take it and you can make it work within your game. Mm -hmm. And this makes it so much easier for a storyteller because it allows me to just use my nerdy, I want to just spend time researching this location and like the city and the people around it and stuff like that. And, oh, uh, now I'm going to use it to, like, fucking throw stuff at my players and Mm -hmm. laugh as they, like, are like, what does this mean? Where does this come from? One of my favorite memories is always going to be in the city of Glasgow. There is a location called the Hamilton Clay Pits. And at this location, there's this weird hobbit door. It's like a little tiny, like, little elf hobbit door, and it's just laying against some brush, and it's apparently been there for years. You can freaking Google it. It's there. And I was like, this is weird, and I am using it, and I created an entire scenario that led to a combat scene because I saw this hobbit door Mm -hmm. in the middle of a park. Just the weird and interesting stuff that exists in the real world can have interesting implications in the Umbra. Another thing I want to mention is, you know, I said it, this is not just an episode for Story Towers, it's an episode for players. Just because you are not a Theurge doesn't mean you have to sit on your thumbs during an Umbral scene. Oh, that always bugs me so much when we're doing something in the Umbra and members of the pack will be like, well, you know, I'll let the Theurge or Theurges handle this. Like, ugh, if you get into a combat, do you just go, the Arun will handle this, I, I, I can't do anything. Like, no, you're half spirit. Oh, you can interact with the Umbra in all sorts of meaningful and interesting ways. And any good storyteller is going to utilize that. If it's just the Theurgers doing something, that's as dumb as a combat where only the Arun is fighting. Like, fuck is a crap out of me. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, I was playing in a LARP once where I was playing a Galliard, as I usually do, and there were lots of things happening in the Umbra, and one of the things I would always do is I had a bunch of points and allies who were these, like, super positive masculinity bros that I would just call up and we'd get together, and they're all, like, really chill dudes. Nothing's worm-tainted here. It's just my close cadre of friends who can stand my rage. And whenever the storyteller was throwing out, like, oh, there's this Bane or something, I would be like, oh, I'm going to call up my bros and we're going to crack a few cold ones and just chill and have a good time. And the positivity and the camaraderie and just the wholesome friendship 
of our presence is going to be anathema to the worm spirit that's going on. And I would always sort of spin this based on what I understood that worm spirit is. If there is a great bane that is associated with, you know, a specific negative emotion, I would be like, oh, I'll call up like Kevin and Dane and we'll get together and we're going to do this. And it's going to be counterproductive to what the bane spirit is doing. And that's just an example of something you can do that is going to impact the penumbra and what's going on there. And it's it's very small, but it's going to make a ripple, right? And any good storyteller is going to take that and work with it in just the same way that the Ragabash who deals one point of damage to the enemy, storytellers should be counting that, right? You'd be outraged if they didn't. And so don't let your auspice restrict you from doing stuff in the umbra because everything great or small has an impact. And Mm -hmm. that's just a minor example of something you can do. Exactly. I honestly love it when non-theurges come up with cool ideas for what they want to do in the Umbra and how they want to affect it. Remember, you can spend a Gnosis and make a minor change to what is going on in the Umbra. Theurges aren't the only ones with access to that. Mm-hmm. And you can call on spirits that don't necessarily require spirit speech to understand. Yeah, anything that speaks a human language, there you go. Any animal, especially a wolf, but like, if you have the beach speech speech gift, then... Beast speech. Beast speech gift, then you can communicate with this. If you have mental communication abilities, bam, there you go. A lot of spirits have that, that charm as well, where they can communicate telepathically. So, boom, you still have a lot of options. Spirit speech is useful for, like, diplomatic matters, certainly, because you're sort of speaking their language, if you will. Or for just weird things, like, oh, it's a just humdrum rock spirit. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you've got some limitations there. But, yeah, you can communicate with a lot of these spirits without needing spirit speech. So, again, everybody get involved. Exactly. Like, one of my most competent spiritually players right now is actually playing a ragabash and she doesn't feel like she's being competent with it but she's the most emotionally mature one in the entire group basically (laughs) and so because of that she is able to then make the connections for any type of enigma that i'm running or any type of emotional representation or metaphor that i'm reaching for And she will sit there and nudge the Thayerge and be like, I think this is what's happening. And it works. Mm -hmm. Do not think that your sheet limits your possibilities within the Umbra. Your sheet tells you what you are capable of doing. It does not tell you what you are capable of not doing. Yeah. And also, everyone can still be doing sort of their own thing while contributing to the greater effort. In one of the games Amelon's running, we have two Theurges and myself as an older brother, Philodox, who really wishes, you know, he had been born under a crescent moon. But essentially, we have three very spiritual characters. And whenever one of the Theurges is doing something, I'm always looking for ways to sort of do my own thing that still adds in to the greater collective effort. And all three of them contribute within their own way. I have 
my older brother, Philodox, that desperately wants to be a Theurge. And then I have my Black Fury Theurge that has her own way of doing things. And then I have my Child of Gaia Lupus Theurge who has her own way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And diversity of thought is not limited by your auspice. Yeah. But I believe we've covered the basics. For the most part, with the Umbra mm-hmm. with this episode. So I feel like that's a good spot to, to stop there. Because we can very easily talk for hours. We could do an episode on spirits. We could do an episode I on think the I, anchorheads. Yeah. I, I think, think spirits will be spirit. next. Yeah. yeah I, th- I feel like that's a good spot to go with. Next episode, we will tell you how we run spirits. See you then. break room and to all of the horrible horrible infinity that the umbra has to offer our great corporation please make sure to always always consider all the horrible wonderful things that the umbra can contribute to your player base have a good day